Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Mike Adelic. I'm Mike Brancatelli. Of course, you are you. Today's guest is my good friend, Travis Tyler Fluke. Travis's second appearance on the podcast. Man, uh, there's been so many times where Travis and I have just been in like deep conversation, maybe post-medicine journey or just over some cannabis or tea. But uh, so many good times where I was like, man, I just, just break the microphones out. We'll get it on the pod right now. And uh, as that happens in life, when you're a podcaster, you're always like, oh, save it for the podcast. Wait. And that's exactly what happened with, uh, with Travis. Uh, he came back from Mexico after his first encounter with the toad. I wanted to know about it. And he said, I'll save it for the podcast. We'll record a podcast and we'll do it. And uh, that kept getting postponed and rescheduled. And we finally were able to sit down and do one. So that's what we get into today is Travis's journey with the toad, among many other things. So uh, you guys are going to love this podcast. I really enjoyed it. I always enjoy talking to Travis. And uh, yeah, check out the first podcast that we did together. Uh, I believe it was maybe a year or two ago. Um, I forget exactly which number, but uh, if you search his name, I guess maybe you'll find it. So um, yeah, thank you to everybody that supports this show. Thanks to everybody that leaves five-star ratings on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you do. The show is everywhere, so wherever you access it, as long as you are showing some love, we appreciate it. I mean, as long as you're listening, we appreciate it, really. But for the people that go the extra mile, show us some love. Help leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube or wherever. Uh, It helps boost us up in the algorithm so more people can have access more people can have awareness that conversations like this are happening. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate you guys that go and do that, y'all. Uh, if you want to go a step further, become a part of the Mikeadelic Inner Sanctum Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Brank. The links are in the show notes, show description. And uh, become a Patreon member. You get access to early release episodes, video podcast episodes. Uh, also, the Inner Sanctum Discord chat where people from all around the world are connecting in community to discuss many of the things that we discuss on this show. Big shout out to my sponsor, WaveBlock. Block those harmful EMF radiation waves. Get some stickers to put on your AirPods and your phone. It helps greatly reduce the EMF frequencies that are coming out. They're tested, they're proven, they work. I love them. It's 20% off with the code Mikeadelic. So put in that code Mikeadelic, get 20% off. It's great. I mean, I watched a YouTube video where the EMF detector was freaking out and, you know, making all kinds of noise. That doesn't look good. So I'm convinced. And at the end of the day, you know, who knows really what's going on? But all this electrification and digitization of our environment, we're going to adapt one way or the other. Uh, but I really like these products that WaveBlock makes. So put in the code Mikeadelic at 20% off at Waveblock. Check them out. Try them out. I know you're going to love them. And uh, yeah, I got a solo cast out as well. Check that out. I announced some new offerings that uh, that I'm offering. <laughs> Allow myself to introduce myself. Uh, so yeah, check that out. And uh, what else do I have to, to tell you about? I guess that's it, really. Uh, enjoy this podcast episode. It's a great one. And uh, yeah, you know where to find out the information that you're looking for. It's in the show notes, show description. So all the ways to get in touch with us, contact me, contact Travis. Um, 
yeah, all that good stuff. Find out about what's going on. Stay in the loop. And uh, let us know you're out there. We love hearing from you. All right, without further ado, let's get into this awesome conversation with my good friend, Travis Tyler Fluke. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. What's up, Travis? Oh my. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Um, yeah, I tantalized you with the stories of, uh, of 5-MEO and Oaxaca, Mexico for months now, so I feel like it's time to get down to brass tacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been living in suspense for like four months. You know, you had this journey, you come back, and I'm like, oh, I, I want to hear about it. And you're like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll save it for the podcast. And then we rescheduled like eight times. But I think the best podcasts are always the ones that get rescheduled. I, I cannot speak on that personally. Um, but a lot of the insights that I received were fresh, and I think I wanted to, like, you know, get that out and document it in a very specific spontaneous uh, space, which is why I've held off talking about it with you. Um, and we'll never know what that would have looked like, but I've had time to um, see the tree of influence that that experience has had on me, and I'm ready to talk about it. Well, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to hear about it. And I guess that's good in one way because it gave, you, it gave a lot of time for this to sink in, new insights maybe, uh, I don't want to speak for you, but I think that what you're saying is there's some value that we've waited, uh, that there's been some time in between. Um, the word I'm going to use is implications. Uh, a lot of times when I have a realization or I get a lot of insight, you know, I'm still with it as it is. It hasn't unfolded into wisdom. And as it unfolds into wisdom, the implications of that shift, um, present themselves so what's been really beautiful is that the implications of my shift have really unfolded in a clear clear as day fashion which has been really helpful in integrating and ultimately demonstrating the the shifts mm. cool yeah i want to hear about that but uh i guess i'll ask what was it like? Because I have not 
uh, participated in the toad medicine. What was your experience of venturing down there to partake in that? Like, okay, let's, let's, let's pause before we get into it and kind of hang out in this realm of preconceived notions, right? Cause as mm-hmm. a person that has never done the substance, like, what drew me in was the people that would speak on it had such presence and assurance in their presence that that's what really lured me in that if a, an experience can instill that kind of assurance, it's definitely having worth had it. Um, and that's what really enticed me. And, you know, with, with most of these things to the, uh, uninitiated, there's no way that you can explain it, you know, and to the initiated, you know, no explanation is necessary. There's, there's so much that just can't be conveyed. Um, and as much as I looked into, um, the toad, the people that facilitated the toad, the people that work with the toad, it just... I couldn't actually connect with the meat of it. And I, and I really reflected on that once I had the experience. So what have you heard about the toad? Well, yeah, I've heard, I've heard a lot of things. I guess what I'll say is that I really like your take on, you know, perceiving people's experiences as being really like worthwhile and substance there because of the the state of their being as they're conveying the information of their experience. Like I took that, there was a point in time where I started taking that as like, this is like some weird cult-like thing going on here. Like there's some kind of, these people seem to be exhibiting some kind of form of like uh, psychedelic narcissism or some kind of hierarchy of psychedelics. Like this is the grand psychedelic and all the others are nothing. And, and I have a propensity already to get lost in these other dimensions and not want to come back to the world of form. So I, I, those two things combined, uh, just didn't have any appeal to me. I was just like, okay, well, I, it's not for me right now. Maybe one day it will be for me, but for right now it's not for me until I feel like I really deeply hear an authentic call. I didn't hear an authentic call. Uh, But having said that, most of what I've heard is like people just being like, oh, dude, it's just like, just unlike anything. You just go to this space of just nothingness and void and you're nothing and it's just love and like it's like birth or a lot of stuff like that, but not too descriptive. Like I haven't heard too many people actually Luke Schroeder, who's on, who was on the podcast drew that after smoking toad, it's called contact with eternal awareness. And the way that he described it to me was like, Oh, okay, cool. Like this is, he's an artist, you know? So he's, he really put a lot of like color and, and, and life to his description. But I had, most people have just been like, Oh, it's like the best. It's like the most powerful. It's like the highest. It's like everything. Oh, you haven't done anything if you haven't done this. Like, so that's why I kind of felt the way I did, but that's pretty much it is like a void space, eternal nothingness, everything you're one with everything. Uh, and that it's like the source of all. I can, uh, vouch for all of that. 
one of the features of the experience itself is it is pure transcendence that you do do not bring language along for the ride. Yeah. So what people are really talking about is going into the space and coming out of it. Because when you're in the space, you, the easiest way to like explain it is, is like you are, you are oneness and psilocybin in the large doses that I have taken has only ever presented oneness from a subject object point of view. Mm. Like I'm still uh, some type of body, some energetic body that can, that has perceptive ability and tools of perception and they're showing me something in a tryptamine vision yeah. and embodiment, you know, somatic imprint, but it, the toad completely takes you out of duality into a non-dual state. Yeah. So anybody that's using words, it's not, it's funny. It's in, because it's purely transcendent. There are no words that can honestly portray it. Um, you know, there's a subjective, you know, like ability to articulate what it is, but you know, I, I'm going to still hold off a second of telling the story. I'm kind of telling the story, but yeah, that's what makes it purely unique is that it's just, it's just that I-ness. Mm-hmm. That amness, that pure amness, that pure right. beingness, and I am that I am, right? Yeah. And until you've dipped your toe in that space, you can't even articulate that to yourself. Mm. Um, but I will say, and this is something that I've said over and over about the experience. Other than being born, it was the most profound experience in this lifetime. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I have had experiences like that. And it's quite possible that I haven't had that experience per se. But from what you're saying, I have had transcendent, non-dual, oneness experiences uh, in ayahuasca, DMT, and uh, in ketamine. Uh, 200 milligrams of injected ketamine. (laughs) Which is, if 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 you're doing ketamine... It's just like anything else, right? I mean, with mushrooms, same thing. Low dosage, a hydro dose, a museum dose, a concert dose, you know, mini dose. Take, you know, 20 grams of mushrooms and see what dimension you wind up in. Same thing with ketamine. It's extremely distinct and profound substance. I won't necessarily say it's a psychedelic, but it could be very psychedelic. But I've had non-dual transcendent oneness experiences in that state as well as uh, one of the most profound experiences ever with ayahuasca. And let's talk about the feeling that it produces and the sort of unfolding of that wisdom from that feeling. Or before getting into that... I just need that, to tell the story. Yeah, I was going to say, before getting into that, let's, you want to tell the story. Yeah. yeah, so there was setup for this. I, I consciously called it in, called in the experience... I had an opportunity to go to Texas and uh, have an experience facilitated by a gentleman that works with veterans. And the way that this came about is I was actually just trying to source the substance. I didn't realize the real need for facilitation 
uh, in that space, you know, just cause I had never been present at a ceremony. Um, I just, it just hadn't dawned on me. And when I was poking around, I wanted to, to get a gram and the guy says, well, I only sell 10 grams at a time. And I got a few people to buy in with me and I, and I was going to go down there to Texas. And he said, well, I don't, I don't know you. This is, I mean, this, I want to meet you before I'm going to sell you 10 grams of this stuff. And I forget exactly what came up, but something got in the way between me and it. And what I'm really realizing more and more now is that there are higher um, intelligences at work yeah. um, that are participating in my experience. Right. You know, so. Yeah. Invisible entities or hands or forces. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to articulate the, the it. infinite strings of the web that we're all tied together in. Yeah, I, you know, see more and more of the orchestra or the machine right the farther i go down this path but it, it's funny it's like it's still just a perception mm. you know it's my reductive human assessment of the situation mm-hmm. um so that fell through and i kind of i didn't forget about it but other things just took place in my life and i facilitated for someone and then that someone uh was contacted by Kalindi's widow and Kalindi Lee. Yes. Um, there was a yearly is a yearly trip that a group of them take down to Oaxaca, Mexico and they do the toad. And then in the same day they do 22 grams of the <laughs> mushrooms that grow down there. The yeah. same mushrooms that the Olmecs and the Mayans definitely we're consuming um mm. a lot of the tryptamine structures um are very uh present in the temples that they built and a lot of the motifs it's kind of like it's amazing yeah. it really is so i was uh i was also invited into the space and then um when we got down there, it wound up that i was the only male of the group mm. it was all of these psychonaut warrior badass like ladies Mm. um yeah in the middle of the cloud forest in oaxaca and if you've never been to a cloud forest this one was like at nine thousand feet and there's almost always cloud cover and at night you can just see lightning storms forever and there's bats the size of pterodactyls and (laughs) all the plants are super happy and yeah hell yeah there's such a uh, tourist nod to the mushrooms and we were only, I don't know, 60 miles from where Maria Sabina lived and, mm-hmm. and, uh, worked as a curandera. And, um, yeah, so I got the invitation <clears throat> and it took me less than 24 hours to say, yes, I want to do that. You know? And I just felt the attractor quality of the experience from that point on. And, um, this, this is going to be a little bit tangential for a second, but it'll weave back into the story. I have, in the last year, I've been, through the medicine work, connecting with the earth and quieting myself and, and getting clear as day messages. And I felt like this was part, part of that conversation. Mm. So I think it was about three months be, between me accepting the invitation and going down there and 
was supposed to fly down to a, a part of Mexico that was close to there and then meet up with everybody the next day and then take a, a bus into the mountains. And the first day I missed my flight. I missed my international flight by, oh, 15, yeah. by 15 yeah, minutes. I remember. And, you know, we were just talking about this invisible hand intervening. You know, I was like, oh, shit. You know, but fortunately, because I had a day buffer, I just rescheduled my flights for the next day and then made sure as shit that I was on that flight the next day. But that day that I didn't go was like a day out of time. And I just sulked a bunch and just like rested and just Mm. prepared myself. And it's a good thing I did because when I flew down the next day, I missed the opportunity to travel to Oaxaca with everybody. So I had to travel by myself and I don't know enough Spanish to really get around And my intention for the whole journey was to be initiated and to be protected. And I kid you not, every, every Mexican that I encountered did absolutely everything they could to help me. Wow. And it made me embarrassed, um, that I didn't bring enough language, enough of their language with my experience that they had to labor for me in their own country. It was very humbling. Um, and then after waiting in a bus station for hours in the middle of nowhere, I took a four hour shuttle into the mountains in the dark. And it was all of these S turns, like whipping back and forth and back and forth for like four hours. And then at 4.30 in the morning, I got dropped off in the middle of this jungle town, this little one road jungle town all by myself. And fortunately my bungalow mate, uh, who's a a mother, had her like mama bear radar on me and wanted to make sure I safely got there. So she was awake to get my phone call at four 30 in the morning and bring me into the complex that we were staying in. Mm. I slept for a few hours and then, um, I woke up and I met everyone and you know, I, I had met Kalindi over a year ago and he just had a certain way about him. So I just really wanted to like show up in a very respectful way that these were people that were definitely committed to what we were doing and very courageous individuals. So like I got up, introduced myself and everybody was so kind, um, you know, and also talked about how their journey had been a little bit harrowing and difficult too, or just like not easy. Like there was definitely some, you had to apply some, some, uh, some stick to to get to where we were. Yeah. So I ate a little bit of fruit and I laid back down and the toad you should do on an empty stomach because I guess you can throw up and that's just not a complication you want when you're in a purely transcendent state. Yeah. Um, I think there were 15 of us that, that did the toad and we were taken into the middle of the jungle to a clearing in groups of five and I was the last group to go, and I was the last one that, that did it. So I don't know if, if um, you've ever seen a toad ceremony. No. Have you seen a ter- toad ceremony? No. So there's screamers, there's kickers, and then there's surrenderers. Mm. I saw Hamilton Morris do it on, on his show. How did that go? He was like kind of convulsing and he was like sitting by like a river and, and, and then he was like, Oh, he's like, love, love, love. Uh, yeah, it, it was, it was quite the sight to see. Like he just completely like vanished. You could just tell that he just was not 
there. Yeah, it's it does you the favor of taking your conscious awareness <laughs> somewhere yeah. else so that you don't. It's like being operated on is they put you out so that you don't have a conscious awareness of the surgery, mm. the rewiring that's actually happening. And your body mind is definitely present for it, but your conscious awareness is not. It's really, it's a beautiful setup actually. So four women went before me and you know, there was some screaming, there was some kicking, there was a lot of laughing. And in the end, everybody popped up like they had been reborn. Mm. Like what you want to think a baptism is really like, you know, just like coming out of the waters of, of transcendence mm. and back into your, your conscious awareness and having the benefit of years of life experience for that experience to reconcile, you know, and I knew, I knew when I did it, when I came out that I had called that experience in since birth, which is a really like weird commentary. So the facilitator, um, Dr. Jerry, he wrote the book, the God molecule mm. and he's facilitated for over 7,000 people. Wow. Um, sat down in this clearing soft grass and with toad, you vaporize it. And there are, it's usually weighed on a very precise scale because there are different levels that there are, there are spaces with the toad that you can explore that are not true white out transcendent, you know, and this guy, no scale, eyeballed this shit <laughs> put into a vaporizer pipe which is i don't i don't know i like i usually call them meth pipes but it's a glass pipe with a bubble at the sure, end yeah and you put the the venom the dried venom inside this this uh pipe yeah. and heat it from the bottom torch it yeah so dr jerry um held on to the pipe and the and everything for me all i had to do is slowly inhale and if you inhale it slowly enough, it is not agitating to your throat at all. Mm. It's not like oh, MDMT. Nice. Right, yeah. Where you're like, what the f That's what I used to, to smoke DMT out of the first time was that little crack pipe. I remember buying it at a little bodega in New York City. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's naphthalene most of the time in DMT extractions. That mothball yeah. compound is just offensive. So like on top of like being like you know, in that space, you, you're, you're like tasting that. I don't know. It's yeah. just, the taste is the experience to me. We call it dirty old man. <laughs> um, but so this didn't have a taste. The toad, it had a very remnant that like you could tell that it was DMT. Okay. You know, minus the, it was like, I could tell the common denominator in my NDMT tasting. You know, if I was a sommelier of DMT, <laughs> Um, like I said, it wasn't harsh on my lungs, so I didn't have to like contend with that. So you inhale for eight seconds, you hold for eight seconds and you exhale. I had felt like I had done enough research going into the experience that I picked up a few interesting pointers. And one of those pointers is that, um, this gentleman that facilitates, if he, if he sees people, um, 
put their bodies into asymmetrical positions. He puts their arms and legs out like a star and mm. creates symmetry. And he feels that that somehow facil- like facilitates the experience. Mm. So I just figured that I would just do that. Mm. And on my exhale, I put my arms and my legs out in a fully, the most vulnerable position I could be in, the most surrendered position I could be in. And the substance comes on very quickly. And it, you know, it, from a visual standpoint, and I mean, vision not limited to your eyes, because at some point your third eye becomes really activated mm-hmm. so that interpretation of vision, I think just like morphs into the experience very, very quickly, much like NDMT, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times by the time you're exhaling, you're already, you're already being affected. And that's one of the reasons that a lot of people don't like that. Cause it's like zero to a thousand mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. quickly. Yep. Yeah. And so this like tryptamine, glittery, white out snow kind of visual just like takes over you, everything you're perceiving is vision. And I think that's a lot, what people are referring to, like the white, the white part. And the last thing to go was my ability to articulate the experience to myself. Like one thing that we take for granted is that we're always appraising things. We're always judging things. There's a lot of mental chatter that's happening that is so you're so used to it. It's background. And then when it's gone, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, holy shit. I didn't even know that that could go. Mm. And the very last thing that I remember is that my body went completely limp as if I didn't have to apprehend the future at all or lament about the past that I was truly held by the divine in the moment, in the presence. And then for like 15 minutes or something like that, I was completely gone, completely gone. There's no experiential artifacts, no nothing that I brought back from that, that 15 minutes. And From the outsider, they told me that I was the most Buddha-like to go into the experience. And I think I'm going to create a little story here, but I attribute that to the amount of psilocybin that I've done, you know, like as almost like I prepared my body mind in a big way to experience something like that. Mm. When you say you were gone, where were you? Well, that's the whole thing. That's that's the unutterable. So you don't you don't have a, a recollection of the of that space and time. No, and that's why I've gotten really adept at talking about going in and coming out. But the in between part is completely. Do you remember a feel like? Yeah, wow, that's that's pretty. It's pretty rare, I guess. To how long? About fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes of just no recollection of that time. Yeah. No, but when I came back into my body and I got my, my conscious awareness came back into my body, I definitely know that knew that like maybe I didn't geographically go anywhere, but something went somewhere and attuned with something so ridiculously intelligent, so infinite that my Travisness could be in complete assurance that there was so much more to this experience. What experience? Life. Yeah. You know, what? Uh, however you want to make commentary on what we're doing now, like, you know, consciousness experiencing itself, duality, or, you know. 
Yeah, do you suppose that it's like uh, like an NDE type experience? I think it is a DE experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know how Honestly. people, I mean, people, yeah, I guess they call them, they should call them DEs. But uh, yeah, the way that a lot of people describe it, going somewhere, white light, glittery, shiny. But yeah. If, now I don't have the direct experience of an NDE, uh, but I will tell you that it, it definitely felt like death and rebirth. Yeah, like sure. Sure yeah. as shit. Right. Well, uh, we I guess that's it's it's funny you say that cuz we don't really know what death feels like, but I guess maybe we're assuming that it's that it's like this. I mean, I, I always like think about Alan Watts saying like, you know, death is nothing to be afraid of. Like it it's cuz it's non-existence. A lot of people think that they're going to be, you know, just little old poor them buried in a box somewhere in the dark, you know, lights out. It's no, it's a, it's it's a non-experience. So you had an experience of a non-experience, which is probably like a death experience. Yes. Yes. You know, and it's funny like I'm observing us really try and articulate and hone in on what this is and it's <laughs> yeah, just yeah, like yeah, well, yeah, I'll go foolish. back to this like if without the initiation it's like you don't your body doesn't have the experiential wisdom of it. You know. Right. Yeah, it's like trying to grab air. Yeah, and I've only done this once, so I'm waiting to do it a second time to even be able to plot a data, like a, a line. Yeah. Create a line, you yeah. know? Um, so you came out of the experience. You felt like you were born again. Yeah, and I was the only person to do this, but I sat right up and started talking. What were you saying? Do you I remember? Said, I remember exactly what I said. I said, that was so important. That's the first thing I said, and... I'm going to paraphrase myself a little bit like and I said I I'd, I'd been calling that in since I was born. Mm. You know, and uh, and just like when I did the first 7.6 gram uh penis envy trip, I knew that every second of my life had led up to that moment, which was really wild. Mm. And that that's something that was really uh, had a lot of the, the experience had a lot of gravity. Like I didn't know I didn't know what would happen after taking 7.6 grams of penis envy. I just didn't, I didn't, I like had this concept of what an ego death was and had this concept of turning into vapor and then coming back in my body. <laughs> but like, there's something so intuitive about it that once it happens, it becomes a memory. It's like, whoa, yeah, right. whoa, I've been here before. Not only have I been here, I spend more time here than I do as a human. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it, it starts to permeate your experience because that insight uh, allows you to root yourself in a much more expanded and deep place in, in this experience. So after that, you know, after I came out of that, I, I, if I would have known what was going to happen, I might not have taken that dose. Like that's how, that's how momentous it was. Mm -hmm. But I knew that going into the tote, like I already had that as a preconceived notion, you know, that in and of itself, like this is huge. This is going to be big. But I have gotten really good at walking my body mind up to these experiences and then drinking the cup and being like, all right, well, we did it now. And just like riding it out. And that's, <laughs> yeah. that's one thing I did with the toad. Like, it's like, as you get closer to something, the farther away it seems, you know, like 
Christmas when you're a little kid. Mm -hmm. It's just like killing you, killing you. And then you're there. And right before I went in, um, Dr. Jerry gave me the most potent, intense blessing that I'd ever had in my entire life. And he brought in like ascended masters and angels and the healing of the planet begins with you begins now begins with this. Like it was just something that I want to do for people going forward is really provide those ingredients. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things that I didn't realize was a real blessing to Dr. Jerry's touch is that once he took the pipe from my mouth. He got about 40 feet away from me. And something I hear about this, the 5-MEO space, is that facilitators hover over you. Mm-hmm. So that when you come out, it's almost like a duckling when it comes out of its eggshell. And it doesn't have a mother duck. It has a human and it imprints right. on the mama duck. Right, right. And so I just, as a facilitator myself, I really was impressed by that that touch just just get out get out of the way because he he, you know like he didn't want to inform my experience he wanted Mm -hmm. my experience to be completely informed by nature and my own consciousness my own localized consciousness so after i jabbered for a little bit and i got my legs back um so I'll, i'll back up for one second so when i was doing this research the other thing besides putting my arms and legs out like a star was to be very mindful about how my ego puts itself back together. Mm. And I really, that was definitely an intellectualization that I carried with me until the experience. And then I actually got to like pay attention to my ego putting itself back together. And (laughs) what was given to me very quickly was my Dharma, why I'm here. Mm. And you know, I'm convinced that we come into this life as newborns with that knowledge, but uh, because of reinforcement contingencies and people like assigning our identities to us and, you know, that whole process, uh, we lose that. Most of us do anyway. Yeah. What is your dharma? That I've done this before and decided to come back to help out other people. The Buddhist term that I've carried around is bodhisattva. Yeah. You know, someone that has reached enlightenment and chose to come back. And, you know, like one thing that I will, I will mention all the time is like, this is my subjective experience. Um, I, if you're psychedelically inclined, I encourage you to have these experiences and then like, then let's talk about it. But these things are often spelled out to me. And from my mushroom work, I've learned to lean on this insight Um, so my Dharma was kind of given to me in two parts. And one of those was the Bodhisattva part, the part that I've been somewhere and I, I chose to come back and help everybody out. And, you know, that's definitely a story that my ego likes and it's definitely something that I've resonated with, but to have it actually handed to me in that way was pretty profound. And the implications, you know, it was way too immature to like to realize that. So I'll speak on that later. Mm. And then the second thing, um, which is really fascinating that I noticed that my ability to articulate the experience to myself had, had gone that one of my prominent gifts in this lifetime is to be able to articulate through language Mm -hmm. and bring others into the space, use language as a vector 
to bring people into the space, mm -hmm. which I thought was like pretty profound considering I make serious effort to be concise and to use very specific language and it just made sense. Mm. So we, uh, we left the area of the jungle and we went back and we ate a little bit of food and in preparation for the evening because we did 22 grams of mushrooms that night as well. <laughs> We're okay. So were people like talking about their experience? Was there like a sort of sacred silence kind of thing going on? What was what were you guys doing while you were like eating and after this toad experience? Well, it was easy to talk about that we had had an experience and that it was profound. But it was funny that we just escaped the ability to actually talk about what it was. <laughs> yeah. So everybody's just kind of like glowing. Like glowing with the assurance of oneness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, there's, I, I w would really love to create more words around this stuff because there's just so... The, the words that we have are very crude to, yeah. to bring you into some of these um, experiences. Like one of the things that I really love is when I'm facilitating for somebody and they come out of the journey and there's this gratitude that beams because they're, it's almost like they're little Buddhas again, right? That they're not encumbered by all their fears and all their, you know, like all their negative self-talk. They're just like wise. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. There's like a tendency to call that like enlightened or awakened, but maybe some better language will buoyant buoyant. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. You know, but that, that's the whole thing. Like we just don't have words to talk, but if we had words to talk about it, then we could, we could talk about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a bunch of us were just like giddy. Yeah. And then also anticipating this, these 22 grams because <laughs> yeah. that's, I mean, uh, I don't know. Most people would uh, decline. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's far and above what the standard talk of a uh, heroic dose is. You know? Yeah. Um, so before we leave toad town, are, is there any, is there any questions you have? I mean, no, not specifically about that, but more about sort of what, what it means, uh, the implications, but maybe we'll get to that. I napped during the middle of the day. Yeah. And at nine o'clock, we went into a, like a bungalow room that had a bed and a fireplace. When you were napping, did, did you have a dream space experience or was it just completely out? I don't remember. I remember being kind of like in the echo of the experience. Mm, mm. So it, it was almost like my it was such a profound shift that my biology was just like devoted towards adjusting to the shift. Mm. You know, I guess like after you go to the chiropractor and right. you drink water all day, your body like take benefits or takes, takes advantage of all those new channels that are opened up to like expand into. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't really, I remember being in the haze of the experience and, and I got a good nap in and I don't, I don't remember anything profound coming to me other than just being with the whole Bodhisattva thing, 
was pretty huge. And so we were in this room with this bed and this fireplace and Kalindi apparently was very, um, he's very militant, very like patriarchal, but very like, they, I guess had done these journeys without the fire on in the cold, dark, hmm. going in, dealing with the ordeal, the 22 the warrior. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah, I see. Yeah. Cause he, he's a martial artist, uh, or he was a martial artist. And I mean, I've heard some of his talks and he seems to describe it as this sort of like spiritual warrior, sort of Dr. Strange esque, like doing battle with like cosmic entities and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so I got to like witness what I feel to some extent was a, was a matriation of that, of that whole structure. Okay. What Being, does the word matriation mean? Well, we, the patriarchy is what we're dealing with. Oh, got, gotcha. Okay, cool. So, um, Kalindi's, uh, widow was the, was the, the leader of the pack. She was the matriarch and things look different when there's a matriarch at the helm. Gotcha. And there was this desire to like do it the way Kalindi had done, but at the same time, there was this opportunity for a new a new persona to kind of take up that space. So the fire was allowed to stay on and people were having like external experiences with each other it wasn't like a completely like shut the fuck up and go in. So my experience, I'm used to having visions and the way that the medicine typically communicated to me up to that point was very visual oriented that I would get perceptual models for any of the insights that they were giving me. Mm -hmm. And these mushrooms wouldn't let me have an internal experience. Hmm. Every time I would close my eyes and lay on my mat, the all the geometric distortions and all the fun stuff would kind of dissipate and it would almost feel like I had barely taken anything. And then I would open my eyes and and like sit up and all of a sudden it would come on. Mm. So I'm sitting up and I start getting these instructions about turning my body into a mudra or a geometric configuration. Yeah. yeah. So my left hand, I had like a little, uh, my palm was up, kind of reached out a little bit, almost like supinated, they call it, when the bottom of your hand's up. And then my right hand, much like you see a lot of the ascended masters holding a mudra with their right hand up, almost like pledging allegiance in a way. Mm -hmm. So the mushrooms were showing me, and because, probably because I was the only masculine uh, presence there mm -hmm. in medicine, they were showing me that I was receiving the energy of the room through my left hand, transmuting it through my heart, and then re-offering it to the space of my right hand. Like, stranger than fucking fiction. Yeah, and that like, makes a lot of sense. And then in this posture, I'm witnessing, um, in almost like a cascading fashion, each of these women kind of become center stage in the room and, and have these experiences, whether it was a release or a processing. And then 
there was singing and humming and things would come and the fire would come to a crescendo. And then, then it was that woman's that that was her turn. She was done. And then the next one came into the space and I was just like holding it the fuck down And this. uh, There was a woman next to me who was my bungalow mate, funny enough, seeing me just like hold it up, hold it down. And she was having a very difficult experience. And she asked me to put her, uh, if she could put her head on my lap while I was doing this. So I was like sitting up straight and and doing this and she had her head on my lap. And then, um, just intuitively I started like stroking her hair and then my hand went to the small of her back, my right hand. And this hasn't been entered into the story. I don't think so. I don't think we talked about this last time, but like my right hand has been a really prominent ingredient. I think you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. So at one point the medicine told me, that I was a great healer. The mushrooms told me that I was a great healer and that I would have the ability to heal through my hands, but I had to heal myself first and then I would get access to that. And I think that was only within a few weeks of going to Mexico and having this experience. Um, and when I put my hand on the small of her back, she started convulsing and had a release that I facilitated. And I was just really blown away by all of this, mm. you know, um, so I don't know, maybe for like five hours after, after we went in, um, everybody was kind of coming out and tired, obviously from doing the toad in the morning and then this. Mm-hmm. So I went back to my bungalow with my bungalow mate and we started unpacking all of this shit. Well, there are bats the size of pterodactyls flying around <laughs> and uh, lightning storms everywhere in the yeah, distance. In the and cloud like, forest. I mean, it was the yeah. stage was set. Right. That's the place to do you it. Know? And then I got a few really interesting insights. And, and you know, earlier in the talk, um, I mentioned that, that I had been reaching to the earth, um, communicating and in silent spaces, feeling like I had received very clear messages. And I got this message and it said, Stop trying to save me. Save yourself. And that caused me to very quickly start to examine all of my relationships, especially with the feminine, that maybe not pure savior complex, but I've been a fixer in all of my relationships. Mm. And it, it started having me look at my own identity that if I'm not trying to save the world, who am I? I got the answer the next day, but it was just wild to be in that zero point, that point of infinite possibility. Like if I'm not this, well, what am I? Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and we, um, I think we stayed up for like four hours, just like, really being with the experience and the, and it it was really wonderful to kind of like almost just like think about the toad. And then the, the medicine came back, you know, that feeling, that feeling of what I now know is surrender, Mm. deep surrender. You know, there's been listening to a lot of Ram Dass recently and I love the way he talks about this shit, but he mentions none of us are actually doing anything. Everything's just happening, you know? And in 
what I'm perceiving to be a more refined all the time surrendered state. It's just being in that observer spot and just letting everything happen that my idea of control of expectation is just kind of like not nearly as intelligent as what, what other things have in store. Right. And when you say letting it all happen and surrendering, you know, it doesn't mean that like, well, if someone's going to just come up to you with like a knife and stab you in the face that you're like, yeah, go ahead stab me in the face. It's all perfect. It's, there's a level of discernment. I think what you're referring to is like that it's, that you you're not attaching to any like worry or thought about anything else. You're just being in the present, being moment. in the present moment. Yeah. You know, and that's another thing, like much like a lot of this shit is like, how do you talk about it? You just have to like keep putting attention on it and then allowing it to permeate your experience. Cause mm-hmm. it's, there's so much programming that we have to like rewrite, mm-hmm. you know, we're like the byproduct of like colonization and that is just like, a, that's like fucking Windows 12 operating in your system all the fucking time, you know? And you can't even begin to like. Yeah. Especially if you got the vaccine. <laughs> I don't know enough about the subject to pontificate. I'm just kidding. It's Bill, Bill Gates, Microsoft, Windows. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. So, yeah, just like surrendering. And, you know, the last, since I got back from Mexico, all of my mushroom trips have been around purification and surrender. And as many visions as I had with the mushrooms, they're very happy to give me what I call somatic imprints now, or Mm -hmm. like the feeling, Mm -hmm. the feeling of things dying around you and how to be with that, Mm -hmm. you know? It's not that the the death itself isn't sad, but there actually is a way to be joyful mm. in the presence of it, mm. you know, but that joy comes from a much deeper place beyond the rational mind. So the toad has really awakened um, my highest self, you know, in a way that I, I am getting better at discerning between that and it's, contribution to my perception perceptual conversation and my travisness mm-hmm. you know that's rooted in the experience of this life cycle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and has you know at this point tirelessly worked at uh reprogramming um to be right. more uh harmonious component to what's going on here yeah yeah i noticed that you were like you paused a little bit when you said highest self Cause it's like, is that another word that we need new language? Like, is it your, is it yourself as, as we know it to well, be or. So what I've, what I've adopted is this, um, concept of a being that weaves in and out of these incarnations. Right. So today I'm Travis, but next life cycle, I could be Sarah, you know, but there's like, there's a, there's some there's something, and this is what's cool about looking at things fractally, that there's something that comes into that. Just like we reincarnate into a different dream state every night. Mm-hmm. Like it's happening in a much grander cycle, I believe. Like right. We have a, the, the Zen Buddhists call it the original face before you were born, mm. which um, is actually one of my compass bearings in my medicine work. I'm going to, right now the prescription is 10 grams of penis envy with the intention to see or 
commune with my original face before I was born. Hmm. So when I refer to my higher self, I think of it, there's like a stream. So if you look at undifferentiation, like oneness, there's like little rays that come out of that. So right now we're at like the far, the most distal part of the experience. And there's a lot more of us that exists upstream to that oneness. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you think it's in the other dimensions? Well, from our ability to articulate, yes. Yeah, yeah. There's... Yeah, I don't even know how to like... It, it's funny. I have a lot of like perceptual models that I can't apply language to from my medicine experience. Like it makes sense in a model sense, but it's like hard to like come up with the words that give you the, the, what do they call that? You have a like, etymology. No, like a synonym or a metaphor. Oh, a okay. metaphor. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. I don't know. See, it makes sense here, but I'm like, <laughs> but yeah, like a metaphor to be able to like take, take what we know in our conscious awareness and overlay that into the unutterable, you know? Right. Because, it, you know, I think Terrence McKenna said the truth is even stranger than you think it is. Yeah. And I, even like, that even stranger than you can think can it think is. it is. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it for yeah, my, for my experience. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I want to like, you know, create some scaffolding, um, to really speak to the, the, the people that are inclined to do this work. You know, one of the realizations that I've adopted is to find the others. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't need to worry about the people that will probably never, never seek within this lifetime beyond a religion that was handed to them. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. There's enough people on this side of the fence is how I like to look at it. The others. And there's enough fence sitters that we have our work cut out for us. Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. If we do that, then a lot of those people that are inaccessible right now will become more accessible. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, when you heal grandma, everybody seems to get a little taste of that. For sure. Yeah. I know some grandmas that, that are getting down, you know, they, they read Michael Pollan's book and that's what, that's what their entryway was. So, you know, you got people out there like him that are serving a particular purpose. And then, you know, once they get invited in, there's a whole bunch of communities sitting around going, Hey, come, you can come over here if you want. Check us out. Yeah. Um, I, I think of it as like vectors into mm -hmm. the space, Yeah, yeah. you know? And one thing that I learned from building community around this stuff is it's really important to have people that look like you and share your story to bring you into the space to like be that initial initiator. So right. I'm not going to be the person to work with veterans because mm -hmm. I'm not a veteran. I can't relate to that experience, but I have a belief that, that if someone that has done the work in that vein, it, it's a much better fit. Yeah, totally. Because ultimately the highest, the highest thing you can do in the presence of these experiences is to surrender to them, you know, and if you feel safe and supported, then you can, you have a much easier time of surrendering, of mm -hmm. letting go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I think the last big PE dose that I took, it was over eight. Um, I didn't have a sitter and then they handed me my ass and showed me what exactly why I needed a sitter. And I was giving a talk in two days and I was 
too hung up on worrying about if my brain was going to be put together back correctly <laughs> to be able to surrender to what they were presenting me. Uh-huh. And I, oh, that was the one where they <laughs> they made fun of me because at the time I was on this pursuit of taking large doses so I could tell people that I had taken large doses. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it wasn't until they per- pointed that out to me. They're like, Travis, what the fuck do you want here? It, you know, like, <laughs> the only reason you want to take 10 is to tell people you took 10. Yeah. And I appreciated them calling me out because yeah. in my life, not many people call me out mm-hmm. and they called me out and, and, um, yeah, that was fucking wild. Um, but, uh, I forget the point of what I was talking about, the experience. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I think I mean, we that, went, that, I think we went out off on a little wormhole with like the light fractal, uh, point and the multiple dimensions thing. We did. You, you were trying asking to create me about metaphors. The mul- yeah, yeah. You were asking me about the multidimensionality if, if I can like from- reincarnating in multiple dimensions in time. Well, to to me, the universe presents as fractal, right? So if you s- just start looking at recursion and self-repeating patterns, yeah. you know, it's just like Tesla was like, if you think in terms of frequency and vibration, those are the keys to the universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, much like learning a new language at first, you know, you learn the terminology, but then you start like applying it uh, right. to yeah. different systems and really uh, seeing the the fractal nature. Yeah. He said uh, energy, frequency, and vibration, too. So he like, energy. What the fuck is energy? Right. What you hear fuck, people talk about it. Information. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, again, yeah, there are all these things that... Uh, all these things that we use to mediate our subjective experiences to co-create one that is objectively satisfying for, for well, us Well, we need... We're, apparently, we're, we're seeking emotional synchrony. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, a message that I've been carrying with me pretty, pretty steadily since this is don't take my word for it. Mm-hmm. Go have these direct experiences. Right. Because it's just something like I, I can do my best to talk about them, but you're still to a certain extent, what do they call that when you read a piece of fiction? You willingly suspend your disbelief. Yeah. Right. So instead of that environment, I'd rather have people to dialogue with this stuff that have had the direct experience because... I've also been excited that I no longer need to have a belief system anymore. I have a direct experience system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is which is wild. You were talking about oh, you were talking about uh, having a sitter. That's what I think we were. Oh, about it? fully surrendering to the fully, experience. Fully surrendering. Yeah, your body needs to feel safe. Right. And that's just one thing they were they were showing me whether I needed to have a sitter in that moment or they were just showing me because I am a sitter for other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I really take that shit seriously. Yeah. And my style of holding space is um, deep silence and empathetic witness. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I usually work with people that take much higher doses. Um, yeah. Same. But yeah, your your body, your body is still needs to. uh hold it down while you're having these experiences. Um, and one of the things that the mushrooms have been so kindly showing me is like how to take care of my body, mm-hmm. <laughs> eat the right foods, exercise, be able to hold these states, you know, for longer and not have it tear my system the way that it does, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, the, uh, uh, 
there's a lot of things I could say, but I'll, I'll let you ask a question and then, <laughs> and then we'll, we'll go down there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, let's just talk about, let's talk about like the, I guess, integration of the, the 22 gram experience and the toad experience coming back from Mexico and I forget exactly how you worded it, but the unfolding of wisdom and the implications like yeah. that, that, so what's, what's taken hold in that domain? What things have come to the surface and yeah. This ever evolving idea of surrender. Yeah. Okay, cool. You know, and kind of seeing how the body mind is slow on the uptake of infinite wisdom. Yeah, because there's so many things that we we know we should be doing or shouldn't be doing and we don't do them. So there's something in our body mind yeah. that is not allowing us to connect with that wisdom. Mm -hmm. When I first started taking large doses, there was a desperation in it. I was at the in the beginning, I was dealing with uh, homicidal and suicidal ideation. And I was just. I, th I think it was almost like an act of suicide. I was just like desperate, desperate to feel anything other than what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've arrived at a place in my medicine work where I'm so happy for the gentle delayering process. Um, the toad has afforded me that, afforded me that opportunity to sit more in the observer spot. Mm. Ramdas made this this comment. He said about the observer, the witness doesn't have a horse in the race. Mm -hmm. Pff, blew my fucking mm -hmm. mind, <laughs> you know, because there's a lot of atrocious shit that happens. But if you really, really tune in to the observer, the I guess all-seeing eye, the eye of providence, whatever you want to call it, that yeah. it's. It really sits in a non-judgmental observational place. Yeah. It's all just happening. Oh, there it is. It's all there just it happening. Yep. That's... Just another moment. Just yeah. another moment. Be here now. Be yeah. here now. Now is again. Oh, here we are again now. Um, right. Right. And, you know, realizing how much intellectualization that we, we are with all the time and our belief systems kind of prompt us to reach out to something and trust that it's there. But these direct experiences put you in, in proximity of the divine, you know, and that nourishes you ultimately. So it's been really beautiful that a lot of, for the first month, maybe two months coming out of the toad, I just kept getting all of these, um, it's almost like I had a commentator, a sports commentator in my head. Okay. There's a projection. Okay. Yeah. Nice. You're, nice. You're a yeah. uh, traffic director. It wasn't even like that. It was just pointing out all this shit. It was almost like, it was like too much chatter. Mm. And, but I, what I realized that ultimately is that it was constantly showing me how to, where to surrender. And once I like figured that out, then all of that, it just was like, surrender here, surrender here. You're living in a projection here. You know, like you just created a story. Or you're about to create a story, you know, like surrender to what is mm. be in the present, you mm. know? Um, yeah. So you, you got, you got like a, an ad, a really strong ad blocker on your, uh, on your browser. 
however, yeah, metaphor, right? <laughs> Haha, there's that word again. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, and then, you know, I, I worked on the campaign to uh, decriminalize mushrooms in Denver, and there is a current effort to roll out statewide, uh, Colorado statewide um, legal measure or initiatives. And I went to one meeting after I got back from Mexico and I realized how triggered I was in this space and remembering that insight about stop trying to save me. I realized that in that space I was trying to fix things. So I made the decision to leave the activist space and a good friend of mine, um, reached out to me and he said, I know you're not, I know you're not involved in the activism part, but will you please just be present at these things uh, from a solidarity point of view? And I said, yes, I will come to these things out of solidarity. So I went to a series of town halls over a couple months and I just sat there with my palms open up on my knees, like in a very open posture and like looked kind of down to the floor with open eyes. So no one thought I was sleeping and just held space. Uh, much in the same way that the mushrooms had showed me in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And I had this realization that I'm constantly waiting to speak and that you can't actually listen if you're waiting to speak. So all of these meetings, I had the opportunity to actually listen. And even though I felt that what I was doing was, wasn't contributing, I had people come to me after at, on the tail side of these events and appreciate mm. that I was just there holding space and they knew what I was doing. So I got this like feedback. Yeah. They felt it. You know, they through, sensed it. Yeah. From, well, you know, it's, it's interesting to be in these spaces where people are, um, onto self mastery and communing with these compounds. There's like this, um, I-ness that really consciously penetrates these spaces and, you know, I'm creating story, mind you, but it's like really amazing to get that feedback because I went, I went into these spaces trying new things, you know, normally I just, I have an opinion and, you know, I can articulate pretty well. And, and that's, that's my, that's me, but with this new identity, Oh, so 24 hours after I asked, after I questioned my identity, well, who am I? The answer that came back to me is said, you're a deep listener. If you're not trying to save the world, you're a deep listener. Mm. Oh, you mean before when you said, right. who am I? And then you said you found out the next day. Right. We didn't get to t touch on that. Right. But the answer came back to me clear as day. You're a deep listener. And, but that didn't make sense to me at first, you know, but eventually we were in these town halls with uh, indigenous voice and the indigenous were saying, please stop, please stop rolling out this, 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 these laws you think you can govern, you think you can regulate the sacred, like let's hang out in community for two years and then put out legislation that keeps all of us in mind. And I saw these two white males in a very tone deaf fashion, just give platitude, you know, land acknowledgement, platitude, um, appropriating prayer platitude, mm. and they're going to do what they're going to do anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they're not really listening. No, but it, you know, I, I saw myself in every person there and every, you know, and I also saw 
what I feel the the east and west mind like butting heads because the west mind is so non-holistic and symptom symptomatic and the east mind recognizes oneness and sees everything as as a holistic kind of like lens so it's really yeah from from an observer point of view not having a horse in the race it was pretty epic and i rarely ever use that word to kind of like see that and to feel that that room was one of the most sacred important places on the planet that night yeah so after i heard the indigenous voice plead for them to stop i um not that day, but I made the decision to get back into the activist space. Um, there are going to be two initiatives rolling out um, for Colorado. One is a therapeutic access model, which is the one that I feel is very colonial in nature and is an attempt to medicalize the sacred and does not have community support. And then uh, the communal response to that was to launch a decrim all plant medicines initiative statewide. Um so more than likely that if I get really involved, that's the camp that I'm going to support. And not only that, but um, I'm going to be uh, an opponent to the therapeutic access model. Mm. So we can start talking about that if you want. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's a perfect thing to talk about because I, I'm on the same page. You know, this like Western industrialized medical machine monster model that wants to sort of corporatize and uh, everything and individualize, uh, isolate everything and, and it's, you know, all this kind of stuff and then prevent people. I'm all about uh, liberty. You know, everybody should have the right to, to engage with whatever they want as long as they're not causing any harm to anybody else. So, you know, I see all this stuff as like completely asinine, uh, <laughs> but I'm like a hundred percent for putting power in people's hands and we were talking before, let's get into it. Like the power of community, the power of like bonds that exist beyond any sort of monetized or professional label or moniker. It's like, let's just hang out and commune. Definitely on the heels of this pandemic um, experience that we've gone through, you Mm -hmm. know, this like need for connection, but at the same time, there's this alienation now infused in this process because we've all become so polarized with all of these big things that we've been asked to choose which side are we on. And it's like, you can't even find your commonality anymore because you're so um, programmed to look at difference, to look at contrast uh, right away yeah. and to meter someone's uh, what you, how free you think someone should be by how much it triggers your insecurity, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's that's just like this. That's the shitty part of it. And or how much you're unwilling to look at your own shit. And, you know, it's just the projection that's out there. I'm I'm actively thinking about the situation in Texas with transgender rights. Uh They're like designing little kits for kids that have like little brass knuckles. What? So that they brass knuckles. (sighs) No phones. But um, yeah, they're like there's groups of uh, trans individuals that um, know that kids are getting unwanted hormonal therapy and body modification mutilation because their parents are too afraid 
right? To allow them to be what they are is ultimately what it comes down to. And there's some horrendous shit going on. So all that to say is like we are looking at each other's differences so much that we, we can't even be with, be with people and allow them to allow them that, you Mm. know, because it's, it's our insecurity that keeps us from being in proximity of that. It's Mm. nothing's wrong with that. It's something that you are, projecting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know which is obviously not a surrendered state (laughs) right yeah um yeah the surrendered state is do whatever you want like go like let it happen well well you talked about like this is a good example because when you walked in you're talking about you want to be free you know like it's it's freedom i want to feel free you want to feel free yeah yeah. and and ramdas has this great bit i absolutely love it in one of his talks experiments and truth uh and he says, you know, you, you don't want to be a meditator. You want to be free. You don't want to be a yogi. You want to be free. Like, if the, so, so yeah, we, want to, we all want to be free. We all want to experience true surrendered liberation. And, you know, acceptance is nice as well to that state. I mean, all people are looking for acceptance, safety, security, and acknowledgement. There's like, it's pretty, but... You know, a surrendered state also comes with it the assurance that there's a much higher intelligence at work and that you are supported by it. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's sur- the... Surrendered isn't just like, it's not like a dom sub thing. You're not being submissive. <laughs> yeah. Because you are it. You right. are it. At, you're like, you are it knowing that you're it. Brahman recognizing that it's Brahman. Yeah. And participating. Right. You know. You're, you're, you're surrendering to serve the higher purpose. Right. And, it, and you are unattaching from the material aspect of this more and more. Sure. Yeah. You know, which is like, it's hard because it's not the thing, which right. it's the th- way the thing makes you feel. And we've just been so thing oriented because of the way it makes us feel. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the medical model completely takes away the spiritual component, the communal component, the cos- cosmology and the, the history, the, the ancestor, uh, the indigenous all that stuff. It's like, uh, come and go into someone's office. Uh, and anyway, well, they, you know, you, you look at the, the clinical trials because the FDA rollout of psilocybin is eminent as well as you know, as we're passing all these laws, like efficacy is being proven. Safety is being proven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be federally, they're probably going to un- deschedule it or something like that. Great. Yeah, um, that'd be great. But here, but herein lies the thing. <clears throat> Uncriminalize it. But herein lies the thing. Those criti- clinical trials were uh, represented by pure synthesized psilocybin. And one thing that I can attest, one thing that I can give testimonial on is that having taken the freeze-dried version of the same mushroom that I had been taking dehydrated for 25 years, like it's apples and oranges. Yeah, yeah. So it to me, it speaks to the entourage effect. Mm-hmm. Yes, totally, 100%. You know? Yeah, and the entourage effect, which is like the 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 sort of like teaming up of all of the components of this uh, plant fungi. So let's go back to the Tesla, Tesla thinking in terms of frequency and vibration, right? If you think about vinyl record, like a record. So in the recording process, they capture all of the ultrasonic and the subsonic sounds, the frequencies that we cannot hear, but they physically affect what we do here. Mm. We hear, we hear the interference of those things. Mm. And I think that that's how a lot of these novel um, tryptamines work is that 
there's psilocybin, which is in the visible bandwidth, if you want to think of that frequency that we can perceive, and then all these other things. And I know people that have taken baocystin in large yeah. large amounts and it hasn't done anything. Yeah. But maybe that's maybe that's an ultrasonic presence. Uh-huh, right. Like you yourself can't tell that you've taken it, but when you take it with the psilocybin, the interference pattern. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's know, a holistic would be. Right. Because you're 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 having the you're having the whole thing. Right. And. Yeah. Like, what would be a good comparison to that? You know, like, uh, you know, I guess yeah, anything really that that we get that's like diluted or something. So you're getting the pure. Okay. okay. Well, let's let's use aspirin as an example. Yeah. So do you know what the uh, side effects of aspirin are? No. So there's like, it, it thins your blood and you can like deteriorate your stomach lining if you mm-hmm. take too much aspirin. Right, yeah. So I aspirin aspirin comes from willow bark, mm-hmm. but you can't patent willow bark, right? Um, but willow bark is good to go as it is. Yeah, just it have, make some willow bark tea or something. And, right, yeah. yeah. So, it, but it has all those coenzymes and cofactors and all those things that the plant, that something intelligently made so that it can interact with our biology to its highest good, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as we've seen, sometimes we have to like prepare things through alchemy. Mm -hmm. Like cannabis doesn't get you intoxicated until you heat it. Mm -hmm. But if you don't heat it, you can take in massive doses of THCA. Well, what if you eat it though? Oh, oh, heating it down. You you have to heat it for it to become an edible. Right, right. You have to bind it with a fat. Right. But if you take cannabis juice, which there are, uh, there's at least one doctor that I know of in California that has cured thousands of people without getting them stoned because the cannabis hasn't been heat activated. Um, so all that to say is that I believe that nature knows exactly what it's doing and we are ignorant to, uh, apply the Western mindset of breaking things down into their, you know, the molecules that do the heavy lifting and think that that is, the most intelligent way to commune with the the compound. Well, here's the thing: we are nature, so we are doing the bidding of nature as well. However, we do something that is going against nature, which which is preventing other ways to be. Like I'm all for people wanting to, you know, experiment uh, with like isolating things and all that kind of stuff, but also make every other option available as well. Just, I'm with that. You know what I mean? It's like, look, like people are going to have different, um, vector points for entry, right? Like I remember I was talking about this the other day. I had Lorenzo Haggerty from the psychedelic salon on the podcast like a while ago. And he, his intro entrance into it was taking MDMA in Dallas, Texas during the rave scene in the eighties. It wasn't illegal, and he's like, "Look, if it was le- if it was illegal, I probably wouldn't have done it, you know." So that everybody has a different sort of like touch point for what's acceptable for them, so it gets into their reality tunnel. Um, but yeah, I think the crucial point is like not preventing other ways to be uh, available as well. Well, the one of the issues that hasn't how do, how do I how do I talk about this? So uh, Oregon uh, recently, uh, I don't know, I guess it's almost two years now since they passed statewide. And from what I understand, they're having a very difficult time in talks that the people that they've assigned to like roll this stuff out are just, it's just not happening well. And now all of a sudden it's coming out is that some of the people that are involved in the rollout have financial stakes in how it's going to roll out, Mm -hmm. which is just like gross, Mm -hmm. you know? 
Right. So once you open those doors, um, so we have established in this country that lobbying is protected by freedom of speech, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So once you have lobbyists come in, then they're going to uh, make things how they want them. Yeah, essentially bribery is legal. Yeah, and right now um, the way to really <clears throat> do that is to accentuate patentable medicines and to downplay and make illegal folk remedies. <clears throat> See, why can't they say we're going to pursue patentable, standardized, isolated compounds for use in healing pathways for medicalization and this kind of thing or whatever, and we're going to open stores and we're going to sell it, and also – the people that just want to do their homeopathic, apothecary, holistic kind of way of doing things, communal, tribal sort of setting, do that too. Well, we were. Why can't they we do were, that? We were founded by Puritans, and yeah, I think yeah, that that yeah, just you're right. this fucking it came, came along from the ride that there's just so much fear, right? Fear about the unknown. But what's interesting about the unknown is there's also infinite potential for awesomeness. You know, like, yeah. um, so. I just, uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of time preaching to the choir, which is great. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes I meet people out in the world that are still reductively seeing this as a drug, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, the, I don't know if this was conscious or unconscious, but like just applying the term drug to everything in the way that it is, is just not, it's just like trying to fire a gun with a mitten. Mm -hmm. Sure, you can get it done, but you're just being totally reductive about it. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, food. What kind of food are you eating? Food. What? Yeah. So <laughs> it doesn't really tell me much. So one thing that I've kind of gleaned off of everybody's assessment of what psilocybin is and how to treat it, there's a poem about these six blind guys that go visit an elephant. Are you wow. familiar with it? Hey, synchronicity. Elephant mug. Oh. I knew um, I gave that to you for a reason. Yep, an elephant uh, never forgets. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey. They have graveyards. They okay. have funerals. Yeah. Um, and I forgot what I was talking about. The six blind men that oh, go visit the elephant. Oh, six blind men go see an elephant. Um, and they kind of like both, the, all six of them land at different parts of the elephant. And the one part that I remember is that uh, the one guy's like, oh, here's some bristles and a long, a long, uh, like, he's basically describing the tail. Right. But he says, oh, this must be a brush. And the one guy is like at one of the legs and he's like, oh man, this must be a tree trunk. Mm. Right. So like from a limited vantage, all these people are trying to describe a fucking elephant. And that's how I feel. I see people, a lot of people that are involved with passing these laws that don't actually either a work with the medicine or go deep with the medicine. You know, you can't even like really, you spend, you could take grams and end up in what I call like a foyer space with the medicine. But if you take a few more grams, the mushroom really reveals its personality, mm -hmm. you know, in a way that you can differentiate between mushrooms that came from um, Mexico versus mushrooms that came from um, Thailand. Thailand. Yeah. Yeah. They have like a morphologic. I mean, what? It? Cambodia. They have yeah, morphogenetic they, field. Yeah, something very unique That's to them. The Shell Drakean yeah. term. Like the, <laughs> the, yeah, it's really you know I, I've I've taken a bunch of different kinds and like yeah. in higher doses, it's very apparent that these are different. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I would really like to see in my ideal world, I would like to see people that are doing that deep work 
make the decisions because honestly, I feel like they're closer to a surrendered state the more that you do the work. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you wouldn't want to have like, uh, you know, sloppy Joe be the next CEO of Amazon. You know, I mean, Jeff Jeff Bezos is the CEO of Amazon because he is a psychopath that that did all the work to to bring it up to a point where eventually, uh, you know, he was able to enslave a bunch of people. But <laughs> what I'm saying, maybe that's not a good example. What I'm saying is that you need the, the people that are at the helm need to be involved with what they're doing. You, you can't have a, a lifeguard on duty that doesn't know how to swim. It's never been in the water. That is a way better analogy. Yeah, yeah. I'll edit the Bezos one out. That is a way better <laughs> analogy. But like, yeah, but then, you know, like, so there's like two... Uh, two ways that I've been looking at all this stuff. Like one is my Travis, my, my, my own personal identity, my own present personality has thoughts, opinions, and beliefs about this shit. And, you know, to some extent still identifies with the fixer part. And then there's this thread that's been more and more, um, prominent because of the medicine work that's telling me to just surrender and let it be what it is. And it's so tough surrender and what and let what be what it is not i'm going to take a quick guess here but what i'm what i'm hearing is that like not to attach to wanting to fix or change but to surrender and just focus on the part that you care about is that accurate well i'm going to just going to be very clear about the therapeutic access model about the medicalization of this stuff yeah let's get it down right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I just have an opinion about it, but then my higher self is like, but you don't know what the highest good is. Like maybe rolling it out and getting the molecule into as many people as possible might be the highest good. Great. Let's do this. Take one. Let's hear from the Travis meat suit, uh, you know, ego, identity, personality, opinion, structure, conditioned, molded person what he thinks about this model, and then we'll go to the other perspective. The other perspective is very curt. It's very to the point. All right, Cobain, let's do it. Um, so from Travis's perspective, and I very rarely talk about myself in the third person, so this is fun. Um, yeah, yeah, we're my, playing a little game here. My mom's mom, my mom used to do that a lot. She'd say, my mom's tired. Can you get my mom some tea? You know, it always threw me for a loop. Nice, So that's cute. Once Travis became an activist and participated in um, the decriminalized uh, movement in Denver, um, he never left the trenches of working with the medicine, holding space for people, cultivating, teaching cultivation, organizing community, activism, creating art around this stuff, and being a death doula. So I feel like... Yeah, and those, might I add, giving a lot. Yeah. Like like purely, like if somebody wanted to know something about the cultivation process or if somebody wanted to know something about, you know, an experience, like you're not like, you're, you're there, you're open, you're sharing, you're giving. A blessing in my life is to be a wisdom holder or what I perceive to be wisdom and to just... Participate in our co-liberation to free us all, you know, and um, 
I am okay that that's not probably going to happen in my lifetime, but like I serve where, where the opportunity presents itself. And I would like to think that being present in all of those spaces has given me a lot of real time knowledge to, um, formulate an opinion around, around what's happening with this, this, uh, therapeutic access stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm not opposed to legalization, but I believe that decriminalization should come first. And in my mind, the way I see it rolling out is once you decriminalize it and kind of allow that to in kind of like reintegrate itself, mushrooms I'm talking about specifically right now, Mm -hmm. that then on the heels of that, you can determine if further regulation is necessary. Right. Because I've kind of like fleshed out the difference between governance and regulation Mm -hmm. and nature in, in nature, in this thermodynamic environment, there are governance structures. It's not like in this waking state, I can just like jump up into the air and start flying away. You know, there's some, something that governs the, the ability for me to take that type of thought and actually turn it into reality. Mm -hmm. So we're already dealing with governance structures. Mm -hmm. And to this point, um, you know, like before we actually, let me put this another way before, uh, Nixon made these substances illegal, like these mushrooms and the people that commune to them for the most part was self-determined. Like someone would come in proximity to these things and make the conscious decision to put them in their bodies, you know, like, and that's been happening for thousands of years, you know? So, uh, in the vein of biomimicry or learning from natural systems, like, why don't we just go back to the way it was? And, make informed decisions around how to commune or not commune with this stuff. And I'd almost like to call it uncriminalization, you know, like getting people out of jail that are in jail for this stuff, creating amnesty for anybody that's, that's going through it, really just treating it like broccoli. You know, there's obviously someone making sure that you're not getting sick from broccoli, like with E. coli, but ultimately like you can grow broccoli my neighbor can grow broccoli. We can share broccoli. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times it's not the substance itself. It's the culture of use around the substance. So do you know why, uh, most people don't go around drinking bleach? Uh, no. Why? Cause there's a culture of use around it. There people is. People know that you don't drink bleach. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I know what you mean. There's, I thought you were saying something else. Yeah. yeah. There's like a childproof cap on it. You right. Know? Right. There's right. like a way to like, we've created uh, information. Yeah. You know? And right. I, yeah. And, yeah. And I think that that can be applied to a lot of other things that right now are stigmatized and rooted in this like perception that it's a controlled, dangerous substance. Right. But, you know, one of the qualifications as a controlled dangerous substance is no medical use, you know, high addiction potential. The only substance and I, and the guy, I can't think of his name offhand. You probably know as soon as I say this, the only true schedule one substance is alcohol, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so most people, uh, don't realize that these laws were passed without any science and they were politically motivated. Mm. And yeah, they're stuck in the this paradigm that these these things like uh, 
will induce psychosis ultimately. Right. Right. Um, but I, well, that is, you're talking about the puritanical nature of things. Yeah. Yeah. That is another very good, not just psychosis, but also we don't, for the most part, general consensus dominator reality does not typically want to encourage or facilitate unorthodox ways of thinking, altered ways of thinking, augmented no. ways of thinking. As Graham Hancock puts it, you know, they, they, they want you in the sort of like logical, rational, problem solving, alert fight or consciousness. Flight. That's yeah. what they want you in. In a fight or flight response and so that you could be hijacked by fear, yeah. propaganda, and then you need to buy all kinds of things. Yeah, there's the... A lot of those things are isolated from plants that we extract and, and, and you know, go around the world, you know, raping and pillaging, extracting resources, and then we can, you know, sell it to people here to fill the holes in their souls. <laughs> well, I'm Just really, to be I'm, really brief. I'm really glad that we can articulate the symptoms, you know. Yeah, but ultimately, I see the root cause of pretty much everything that we're dealing with as a, a precipitated out of the illusion of, of um, separation. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. You know, so if we can just go far enough stream uh, to actually get to the root of the problem, that all these symptoms will be handled by an increased amount of empathy, by more um, higher wisdom coming into the space, you know, like. So anyway, we're talking about decriminalization from Travis's perspective. Um, And I have seen that there is enough intelligence in the community to come above ground and create guidelines, community guidelines. And there's nothing saying that we can't train people from for, that the community cannot train people to be competent facilitators and to have, you know, like it's still people are like, well, what about sexual assault? I was like, sexual assault still fucking illegal. It's still fucking illegal. And mm-hmm. you can also arm people with like rights and, and how to like know how to go into these spaces protected, like take a buddy with you, you know, like there's like really simple common sense, you know, information that you give, can give to people that are that want to go to people that aren't necessarily referenced because that's really what we would build is reference structures like the community approves this person to sit mm-hmm. you know or facilitate or grow medicine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that yeah and that already exists right now yeah. on like a word of mouth basis to a certain extent you know it's like <clears throat> really i mean that's that's how we organize anyway all good things are sort of self-governed by a, a group of people that say like, oh yeah, yeah, watch out for that. No, no, this is good. Like, check this out. Like, oh, you want to go here? You want to go there? Avoid this. Like, generally, people that care about each other look out for each other. Well, they have something to fight for. Yeah, you know, skin in the game. I was um, at a conference a little while ago, and Martin Luther King was brought up several times. But one of the things that was talked about is he would have these dinners on Sunday nights and all these people would come to the dinners. And when he started marching and being active, people had something to fight for, you know? And it's like really beautiful from my perspective to see like people assembling with the common, common goal of self mastery and healing and, working together, you know, and making a more beautiful world that, that 
I, you know, like I don't have a word for it yet, but like I've been talking, thinking about this like reindigenation process of mm-hmm. like rerouting mm-hmm. to the earth and creating sustainable futures instead of this unsustainable shit that we're working with now. So I believe that a decrim, if you decrim first, we might not even need regulation on top of that, you know, but the medicines themselves are indigenous, you know, and if we are going to dismantle the patriarchy or colonialism, like it is really, really important for us to center indigenous voices. Um, Mm -hmm. If you center the most marginalized people, then everybody gets access, mm-hmm. you know, because somebody, a billionaire can obviously fly to Jamaica where it's legal and do these mushrooms or like get to where they need to go. So, you know, a lot of this philosophy around why to do it this way is to really center the most marginalized and the therapeutic access model touts like, Oh, it'll be all this increased access. But like Marie Antoinette, was so blinded by privilege that she, her, one of her famous quotes is let them eat cake in mm-hmm. response to the starving peasants mm-hmm. that her blind, she didn't even realize she thought that everybody had cake, mm-hmm. you know? And I see this blind privilege, like just saying that you're giving somebody access to something doesn't give them the time off work, the opportunity to have their children cared for, or the job of integrating this stuff unless you want to go back to the facilitator and pay them more money by the hour. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I believe that that community um, has all the things necessary to uh, safely and intelligently roll this stuff back out. And the therapeutic access model um, is convinced that grandma won't go to a shaman so she'll go to a doctor in a white coat and, and have this experience. Mm-hmm. And I kind of see that as a little bit of fear mongering. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there's already, uh, so, so the people that are rolling out this, uh, therapeutic access model or, or part of, uh, part of it are a political action committee. And I don't know, do you know what a political action committee is? They take political action in a committee? Well, so uh, during during a campaign or an election, it has a limited life cycle. Yeah. So what you can like open up a 504C or whatever it is. And, yeah. And when the campaign's over, it's over. But a political action committee basically has a, a unlimited life cycle and can just throw money at whatever campaign or candidate that they want and they can just stay as a as an entity. So there's a group of progressives that, um, are throwing money at progressive legislation and their real motives have not panned out, haven't come out yet because we haven't actually seen successful therapeutic access rolled out. So we don't know. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know what a mega, you know, we have mega churches. We don't know what mega healing centers look like, Mm -hmm. you know? And, Mm -hmm. I think it's an attempt to medicalize the sacred. Yeah. And, you know, doing the work that my limited, my very limited knowledge and, you know, not, I don't even have a lineage that I come from. I just like dropped into this when I was 15 and I've been working with the mushrooms for 27 years. And like, it just doesn't, doesn't compute. I mean, it, it, it'll, it'll work, but I think that there's something more to what the, 
to what this is. And that's bringing people to the sacred so that we can see the sacred in everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just feel that, that even, even this therapeutic access bill that's coming out that also has decriminalized elements is really only a concession that community wasn't involved with these talks. And then all of a sudden we found out they were happening and then they're just, you know, as like a last minute, you know, move, we, we started opening up these spaces and figuring out, well, how do we feel about it? Realizing all of a sudden, like, how do we feel about each other? So these, uh, individuals, um, are going to proceed with this stuff, even though community is not on board. And that to me is blatant colonization. Mm. Yeah. And you're referring to basically like, you know, the 301 initiative community. Well, it's expanded since then. Yeah. Because, you know, before we we were successful, there was a lot of people that wanted to stay underground and wanted to stay invisible and did not want to put their name on something that said psilocybin. Yeah. But as we've seen within 18 months of Denver passing and Denver passed at 50.5%, which is just squeaking over. Washington, D.C., 18 months later, 86% yes wow. on decriminalizing all plant medicines. Yeah. I didn't know it was that high. Yeah, it's bonkers. Wow. But And everybody else uh, went the decrim nature route and went through um, uh, city councils. So the only two that took it to a vote were Denver and um, Washington, D.C., hmm. which is wild. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely a, a trend of people that want solutions because uh, Prozac's been out for over 50 years now and is not not doing it. Yeah. It's like... Well, it is doing it. It's it's doing it according to it's doing it for what it's supposed well, to let me, do. Let me re- which is keep people right, on the hook. Right, it's serving right. the agenda of the yeah. status quo maintainers and incentivizers. Well, I just meant that it's not yeah, it's not it's not getting to the root healing, cause. Yeah. It's not healing people. Right, and, right. But know, that's the problem, Travis. Yeah. Is that we live in a culture that doesn't want to heal people because there's no incentive to be gained from healing people. Like you said before, willow bark. You, you can't patent it. So that's why there's aspirin and Tylenol and acetaminophen and all this stuff. So, you know, like, yeah, what we want to see is like people like, okay, you got problems. Like let's, let's help. Let's get together. And then you don't like, I'm going to see a chiropractor right now. He's, who's not a chiropractor does advanced biostructural correction. And it's sort of like an advanced, it's like an advanced version of chiropractic, but he's like, my goal is to like get you in here and then like not really see you ever again, you know? Uh, so, so that's really like the, the heart of the, the models, the competing models is like, one is like truthfully wanting to fix and heal and mend and, and move forward in like a really amazing way. Like this life can be so amazing if we choose that path. And the other one is Michael Pollan, not so fast, slow down, not well, so fast. He well, wrote that article, slow down but, on mushrooms, not but, too fast but right hold now. On. But there was a conservative backlash from the 60s, and that's that's really was a cautionary. I, I like I understood both sides of looking at that. Okay, you fair know, enough. Because. But it's not the 60s anymore. No, I mean we we now realize that instead of dropping out, we need to drop in. Yeah, haha. Instead yeah. of calling out, we need to call in. You yeah, know? yeah. There's so much evolution that has happened in the underground. Yeah, you know, and 
this wisdom is waiting to come back and and allow us to remember remember you know who we are and what we're doing here and what and and glimpses of an into what that potential looks like so you know i i again i just think that allowing the decriminalized environment first mm-hmm. and then assessing whether you need legislation on that as a much it will preserve a lot of the uh sacred essence of what we're doing here mm-hmm. now can i comment on one one thing too here before you don't lose that thought that term terms like that is isn't that kind of like taboo for that that model that way like they don't really care about the sacred they don't want to have anything to do with the sacred they don't want to maybe they'll pay play uh pay lip service to it or say some kind of platitude or like you were saying like co-opt it and 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 colonize that space but really they want they're like no this is like you have depression you go to a clinic you they don't want any sacred woo-woo type stuff going on well I think that the medicine, I think it just works on people. I don't know that that's what would happen in the, like, I think that when, when you're in the proximity of this stuff, it just, it, it just infiltrates, you know, almost like a Trojan horse. Like, sure. You know, it's like, there might be something, some force that's like, yeah, let, let, let the synthesized psilocybin, let it get out there because what's going to happen is like, people are going to like connect to that higher intelligence you know, and then that, that is going to shift things. Right. You know, it's the, the systems are going to have no choice, but to shift with them. It's just like, it won't, it's like, yeah, I, 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 there was one point when, before any of this was in talks that I was like, just thinking about that, that the molecule itself, you know, um, might, it might benefit to get it out there and as many people as possible you know, and just like looking at it that way, like let it in all those different forms that people want to take it. But if you want to take it this way, you should be able to take it this way. Yeah. Um, but my work with marginalized communities shows me that when you let money in, that it just like drowns out all that. Mm. Uh, you look at cannabis legislation in Colorado and you know, with the initial rollout, they were like, you can have a dispensary, but you have to have a grow too. So now all of a sudden you need a million dollars to buy into the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that pushed out, marginalized communities and you can't get a loan a bank loan for that so they like did it in a socioeconomic way yeah you know and you know we see that we see that had happened so we're trying to um seed this movement in much higher thinking you know yeah that, that those that who would have thought learn from the past apply to the future well that's that's one of the other struggles is we're we're really working to be a wisdom culture and to not be an ignorant, an ignorance culture. Yeah, yeah. And to bring eldership back. Like yeah. we, we have old people that have gotten either really bad or really good at capitalism. Yeah. But that's not that's not eldership. That's not indigenous <laughs> right. eldership. No, it's not. Yeah. You know, there's nothing about human one oh one in that. Yeah. That you are uh, an infinite being perceiving a temporary situation in this meat suit here. Yeah. You know? Um, and I you know, like for all the flaws that Plato's um Republic has one of the things I really like is about philosopher kings, you know, that kings should be philosophers and philosophers kings, you know, people that are really like looking at the meta of all of this instead of the colonial, you know, way or the the trauma informed way, because that's like all this shit is from that illusion of separation, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So basically everybody's walking around traumatized except maybe the country of Tibet. And <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's wild. So yeah, Travis thinks decrim first and then assess whether we need legalization after. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then my higher self is saying, just step back, assess your own values and embody those values and let these campaigns do what they're going to do. So what your higher self is saying is like, don't fight against, fight for. Right. If Don't be anti-war, be pro-peace. Pro-peace. I like that. Yeah, because, you know, like think about how much extra energy you have to put in against something to gain headway in it mm. when you could just put your sail up in the wind and psh, go with it. Yeah, and, and then just like the, you, you do your part, the chips fall where they may, and that's it. And hopefully... Well, I, I'm a big believer in like when you're when you are moving with that energy, you are also attracting, and inspiring, and encouraging, and propagating more of that energy. So then, more doors open up, more synchronicities, more miracle type of events, right? I mean, like the passing of 301. Like we thought we didn't make it, then the next day, miraculously, like it came through. And it was all just this like grassroots effort and people that really cared and were passionate and just really wanted this to happen. Yeah. Um, community, community, yeah. community, community. It kind of gets sequestered into like one personality that, that kind of gets credit, but it was community, you know, um, holding meetings at, at my house, you know, 50 deep, you know, every Friday. Yeah. 10 pies and, of fat sullies. Yep. And or sexy pizza going out in 10 degree weather to collect signatures and that's how it got done. Yeah. You know, talking to people on the street, making connections, right. You know, and then, um, it's been really beautiful to, um, be in that decriminalized environment and really watch people come to the space with curiosity instead of fear. Well, maybe to some extent fear, but like curiosity. Totally. But one of the things that I've definitely noticed is, a lot of, um, you know, there's there's always that sort of like unconscious background fear of like the programming and the conditioning and the indoctrination. Like, oh, I'm engaging in these, this substance, but it's it's illegal. Like, I'm not allowed to do it. Like, something could happen. Like, I got to be careful. Like, where, you know, there's like that's the, the set and setting, you know, kind of like thing where it's like, but now because of decrim, I feel a lot like people are more relaxed and they're like, like I see all kinds of people coming out of the woodwork like, yeah, I heard about this stuff and, you know, my daughter told me about it and I read this book and like, it's just like this, the environment is now like relaxed and surrendered. We, we, it's talked, surrendered. About, we talked about providing support so that people can really surrender to this experience yeah. and that, that geography, that geographical component is, is one of those concentric layers of support. Yeah. You know, I... I have a mentor that lives in Fairfield, Iowa, and I don't know if you know about Fairfield, but the, um, the school of management is out there. The people that, that do t- transcendental meditation. Yeah. Are, are yeah. TM. There. Yeah. And I think they say that 15% of the population meditates. So it's already like, by yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So, um, you wouldn't think that I did a, I did a, a, a 10 gram dose and, um, a chunk of that was appreciating the space that I was in. I was in my mentors, like in his, his bedroom, in his house, on this cow farm in the middle of Fairfield, Iowa. Like I, 
the mushrooms were allowing me to appreciate all of these concentric layers that were supporting my experience that I was just the, the bullseye in the middle of this <laughs> thing and getting the, the focus of all of these elements. So it's something I've taken into my practice as far as just like preparing my house as an, as a, almost like a lit, a physical uh, version of my limbic resonance. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, like, you want to have a, a, a good atmosphere, environment, architecture, because that also, uh, like you were saying, it's like sort of like a biomimicry type function, in a, in a sense, like a feedback loop. Yeah. yeah, at least that's the way it's been laid out to me. So I'm happy to, like, artistically interpret that, you know, Um but yeah, decrim decriminalized environment allowed people to become curious about this stuff. And then that's one element that they're not bringing into the space. And a while ago you were talking about things being psychedelic. And, you know, if you think about it, life is psychedelic. So totally. Therefore, therefore yeah. everything that happens in life is psychedelic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just like, um, working with, with coherently within those structures to provide support. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's do it. We are great. <laughs> I love, I love this place, you know, it's a, there's good energy here, man. Like things happen here. Well, I, you know, I look at, uh, cultures around the world that live at elevation, you know, the Himalayas, the Andes. I don't, I don't know. I feel like there's some, there's some uh, yeah, movement in a in a more like higher. Uh, I don't want to take you like that. Literally higher. <laughs> Literally higher. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know why we're any different. Right. Yeah. We, uh, especially over time, are informed by and inspired by that. Yeah, and it's always the people in the mountains that sort of like survive a lot of the uh, invasions and occupations, and seem to be like we're all like the sort of wiser people go to escape being a part of the the noise of society there's a book i think uh, the art of not being governed by james c scott uh where he talks about like the people who just couldn't be governed in the high in the highlands in the in the, in the mountains so yeah there's something to it for sure mile high well, we have a we have an interesting history, you know, around like prohibition ending. Like, we, I think we had the first bar after prohibition ended. Great, and they're like we're in the first spots to decriminalize cannabis. Yeah, yeah, it's a very, you know, I mean, it's the decriminalization of cannabis, and you know, I mean, maybe it's not exactly where people would would like it to be right now, but just the the mere fact that like you could come here and you could walk into a place and you could buy cannabis, and you don't have to worry about getting arrested or going to jail. Well, there, so it depends. It, there's, they, you know, it's still disproportionately, um, enforced against black and brown people. Um, in Colorado, in Colorado. Um, I'm shocked. There's just a few things like we had to work towards like expungement, you know, like there's still people in jail for doing right, cannabis right, right. while there's dispensary that owners needs to like change. Yeah. taking it to the bank. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I, I completely, I'm with you on that just like, duh. But at the same time, 
you can only have six plants. So they're telling me how much I can engage with nature. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. They're not going to tell you how much uh, Swiss chard you can grow. No. Yeah. But or this, alcohol this, you yeah. can buy at a, at a, at a, uh, a liquor store. Yeah. You can go in and buy enough alcohol to kill tons of people. Yeah, right? you're you only allowed you to buy an ounce of engage in your own day. personal leaving Las Vegas. Yeah. Right, but you can have an ounce of cannabis legally a day. Yeah, see, these things are just so, are just dumb. It, it's like it's like the training wheels that need to come off. It's like, guys, it's okay, it's okay, it's everything is okay. Can we please get rid of? It's so arbitrary, right? It's like. Six plants, well, why not seven? Why not five? Who came up with this? Well, let's, well if you grow you know, your own, you can't buy any and, and pump the tax funds. Right, so that's what it's all about at the I end mean, of the day. I mean, that's the way yeah. I see it. Um, but you have a plant that has 25,000 known uses, and it's illegal. Why? Yeah, yeah. I can't think of any other plant that has 25,000 uses. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. I mean, well, you just, you just said it. I mean, it's, so, it's like obvious, but it is all about the money. It's not about anything else. Well, that's how that's how they got the momentum. They're like, oh, you can totally make tax money, and they're like, oh, we can totally make tax money, you know. Um, but you know, we're uh, we're trying to learn from what has happened to like seed the future with much more um, compassionate laws. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just keep pointing back to the fact that Nixon did this without any science. Yeah. You know, this wasn't this wasn't a public safety issue. Right. This was like we need to support the Vietnam War issue. Right. We need know? to support the war, and we need to get an excuse to arrest people who are anti-war. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, like I, uh, coming out of that, the campaign in Denver, you know, I was saying that legalization without decriminalization is prohibition 2.0, but through this process, I've realized that one thing needs to, it just needs to come first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It just needs to like set the stage. Right. You know, because it's, you, you can't, it's very difficult to go backwards once you let money in the room. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, you know, my, my hope is that no, even whatever happens in Colorado happens, but this, this conversation, this, this thing becomes this will be applied to other spaces that communities will be ready for this type of shit coming in and how to like prevent it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Do you think that, um, like decentralized money in maybe like a crypto type fashion could play a part in some of this kind of stuff in funding the campaign for damn sure. In funding the campaign, yeah. So there's a lot I don't know about crypto, but I really feel that it's like biomimicral in a way. Right. Blockchain is kind of like DNA. Yeah. Just like record keeps forever, you know. And I I know that all of, especially this concept of decentralization has a part to play. Yeah. Because we're seeing the um, unintelligence of having a federal like overlay of all this. It's yeah. just too much to govern. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you can't, it's ridiculous. Ac- you can't accurately represent a population of that size. Right. You know, like if you, if you have an, a, an issue that's very black and white, like abortion and you have a million people and you have 500,000 on one side and 500,000 on the other, no matter what you decide in democracy, there's still 500,000 people that are now unrepresented. Mm-hmm. So going back to much smaller 
um, like territories in a way is way more intelligent, you know, because people know people have the ability to self-determine and make decisions for each other. And the bigger that you, the larger governance structures just don't have a way of, it's just not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's either going to, I think that it's just like you, you mentioned before, it's not sustainable. So it's like, you know, the machine's going to break and that's good, but it's also better that there's systems of community enforced uh, or just that there's, you know, the Buckminster Fuller quote, right? You don't fight the existing structure. You you build uh, an appealing alternative that renders it obsolete. So you you have these appealing alternatives that are there so that when the machine when the wheel stops spinning, then people can go, Oh, that's where we go. That's what we do. Um, I, I, this, this came to me before I was a death doula, but I, I've now like evolved a little bit, but it's important for us to, for those of us with the awareness to almost step into death doula roles so that when the inevitable collapse or the death of this happens, that we'll be there. We'll be there just to hold it, to hold space for it. And then we also get to be birth doulas on the other end and mm. introduce a new way of being, mm. you know, cause you were talking about our beingness before, but you know, I kind of see that we have our beingness and our doingness and our doingness is, has no choice but to be affected by our beingness. So if we shift our perspective internally, then the things that we do will just be a, a unfolding of that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And embodied, embodied, path of uh unfolding into wisdom and eldership yeah so i'm i'm really quick to talk about like i want to be an elder so i'm like an elder in training yeah you know and i want to be like the the really hip old dude that all the youngins get to like hang out with and you know um i just hope that the social climate um you know fosters that because uh socrates was put on trial for essentially doing that and teaching huh. the, the youth to think for themselves. And yeah. they were like, you can't do that. <laughs> if you promise you'll never do that again, you can live in exile. And yeah. Socrates was like, no, I'm the, he called himself the gadfly, right. which is like a horse fly, like something that spurs the horse into action. He considered himself uh, one of those catalyst. He was catalyzing a new way of thinking, you know, and he refused to, um, not do it. So he drank hemlock and killed himself. I hope I don't have to go that route, but no, no, you're going to be fine. Well, I mean, there's a reality of the situation, you know, but I, I see that we're lacking wisdom and wisdom is hard fought. It's not, it's not easily given. You know, I think a lot about the Kung Fu tradition and how the uninitiated have to stand outside the master's gate for an undetermined amount of time to show to be vetted, to be allowed in. There's the that movie Fight Club. Yeah, that kind of refers to that. So Meatloaf is like out on the porch, and he's like, "Oh, you're too fat. You're too old." Yeah, slams the door, but he he stays, and eventually they let him in. Right. And what what in in kung fu? Then there's there might not be any more physical gates, mm-hmm. but there are many gates to getting that close to source knowledge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You really have to prove yourself, and I'm seeing that with the medicine path is like. When I do my homework, when I integrate, when I do what the medicine tells me, they keep giving, you know, but they'll definitely stop me and be like, you haven't done this. You're not getting any more. What the mm-hmm. fuck? 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. Totally. I agree with that. Yeah. So, uh, wisdom is, is, a you know, you have to humble yourself and really apply yourself, um, and empty your pockets because how are you going to, how am I going to put gems in your pockets if they're full, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's decriminalize first. Let's invite everybody in who's working on all efforts to participate in ceremonial work with community. And then we can decide what needs to be done in terms of medical models and, you know, whatever. Um, I'm down with that. The, it, it, the timeline doesn't really look favorable to that. So what it looks like is that the people that are in the community supported thing are looking to be together in ceremony and like work in alignment with the medicine. I can't speak to what the therapeutic access uh, campaign is going to look like, but I will say that they're hiring a campaign director and hiring petitioners. So um, it's, it's just going to get done by force, Mm. you know, they're just mm. gonna they're gonna pay people five bucks an hour or five bucks a signature and let her rip. Mm. But in order to invest that kind of money, you have to believe that it's gonna not only pass, but that, that there's something to come out of it. You know. Um, so yeah, I'm like, uh, you know, sitting at the precipice of this of this situation, and just like I already know that I'm gonna be in awe of of how it all rolls out. And I just it would really honor all the work that I've done to just not project what I think that's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah. So keep, keep staying present. Keep toading. Keep, 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 keep the toad with you. Yeah. Keep the toad with it. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I guess we're going to roll out of here. Uh, anything else that that's like top of mind bubbling for you, something that you've been sitting with, want to share with uh, thousands of listeners around the world? Um, this is what I will say. I want to come back and talk about other things, but I, I kind of want to keep it, keep it in this space because there's a lot of, a lot of big concepts that, that were introduced and uh, yeah, I just um, want that to kind of like echo reverberate a little bit, you know? So uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Um, you can reach me on social media. Um, View underscore askew, V I E W underscore A S K E W is my Instagram handle. Um, or you can reach out to me um, via Facebook, Travis Tyler Fluck. That's F as in Frank L U C K. And I'd be happy to connect and um, yeah, explore the space. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, so you'll come back again and we'll we'll wrap up on some more stuff. Part three. Thanks, Travis. This was awesome. I love I love all the places that we went. To uh till next time. Thanks everybody for listening. Get in touch with Travis. Reach out to him. And uh yeah, he's he's doing a lot of good work in the world and really bringing a lot of community together. No matter if you're here in Denver, Colorado or uh, other places, uh, you've, you've gone to, to help in, in other areas as well, uh, campaigns and advising and things like that. So your thoughts, your questions, opinions, comments, reach out to him and, uh, yeah, make sure to, uh, always keep journeying, keep listening. 
One more thing. Um, I've been invited to speak at the California Psychedelics Conference or Convergence, um, which is April 23rd and 24th in Los Angeles and is being run by the Oakland Hyphae. Cool. So if you want to come see me in person. Check that out. We'll put a link in the show notes for people. Cool. Nice. All right. Much love. Much love. Peace. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, and I certainly did. We will have Travis back on the show for a part three. Uh, there's, you know, Travis and I have always had so many awesome conversations that uh, I guarantee you, if I had the ability or if it was appropriate to uh, just record all of them and put them out for like an epic series of podcasts, they would just be awesome. So, uh, like, share, and subscribe. Tell people, contact me, contact Travis. Get in touch with us. All the information that you need to know is in the show notes, show description. Become a Patreon member. Help support the show. Get access to early release episodes, video, podcasts, the Inner Sanctum Discord. Also, uh, as part of my new offerings of seeing people one-on-one and doing group work, I'm offering uh, free, essentially, for all the the $5 tier patrons and up for that. So uh, to find out more about that, you could also email me or you could click on the uh calendly uh link in the show notes show description schedule a one-on-one sesh and uh yeah thanks to everybody that leaves five star ratings or m reviews on spotify apple Podcasts. if you do much love to you appreciate you and check out wave block put in the code mikeadelic and get 20 percent off blocking those harmful radiation waves all right much love peace